Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Guy Jeans. And I want to thank everybody for listening out there. Really appreciate it. We had something really cool happen. And I know 100% it's from a, a guest that I had on the show, Chuck Reagan. But uh, he's a rock star in uh, Europe. And um, we actually climbed the charts over there in uh, Austria, Germany, and Sweden. And went all the way up to number three for this podcast uh, over there in those countries, which is pretty cool. So thanks, Chuck. And uh, after about a week, we, we disappeared off the charts. <laughs> so that was pretty cool, man. The claim to fame there for about a week. And that's all due to Chuck Reagan and uh, his popularity over there in Europe, man. Thanks, Chuck. Um, today's guest is Hogan Brown. Super stoked to have him on the show. He's a guide. He's a teacher, he's a podcast host, he's a celebrity fly tire, um, he's uh, one of the founding members for Calbass Union, he's on the after board, and uh, I've got tons of stuff to talk to him about, um, his music, his fly tying, his guiding, all that stuff. So without further ado, here's Hogan Brown. Hogan. Yes. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. No complaints. Uh, yeah, getting a lot of good rain here, so that's a good thing. Are you guys getting pounded up there? Yeah, yeah, we have been. You know, it's uh, it's been raining pretty good for the last maybe week and a half. So, and when you look at the next ten day forecast, it's all rain. So, you know, that's good and bad, but yeah, mostly good. <laughs> yeah, d- down here, man, we finally are getting some. Uh, some water to fill up our lakes, man. You know, I'm down, I'm down here on the Kern river and, and, uh, the rivers bit, we've been hurting pretty bad, you know, but it's starting to look better for sure. Yeah. That's kind of the same thing up here in Northern California. So, you know, I think it's a, a pretty deep hole to fill with water, you know, metaphorically, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, at least, at least something's coming into the hole. <laughs> <laughs> Today you're in the hot seat, man. You're usually interviewing people on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, uh, I commend you for, <laughs> for doing this is I, uh, I, I, I did it for, a, I don't know what seemed like a long time. And then I've kind of given it a break. Just, uh, yeah, yeah. it's a lot of work yeah. and, uh, you know, you gotta, it's a lot of work period. So totally. Yeah. Man. And just, you know, researching and, you know, Oh uh, yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot of work to do it well. And I don't like to do things if I, I know that I don't have the time to do them well, you know? So, well, after, uh, uh, you know, talking to Chuck Reagan, you know, um, I actually went fishing with Chuck and he mentioned you a couple times. And then I've had clients that have gone with you. Um, and just all I've heard, you know, through the fly fishing world and we've never, I don't think we've ever met in person. 
um, is all positive, really great things about you, man. So I go, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna get him on my podcast. He sounds like a cool <laughs> oh, dude. Oh well, that that means a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I I always believe if no one knows you and they still think if if someone doesn't know you and they think you're still a nice person, then you're doing something right. You know? <laughs> yeah, for so. sure. But we have a lot in common. Man, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I've been researching you and, um, you know, I've, I've always heard about your amazing fly tying skills and I've seen your videos and I want to get into that for sure. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is that you are a musician as well, a guitar player. And, yeah. And you guys, the yeah. uh, uh, Royal Oaks has a couple albums, which I want to talk about. Um, but first of all, like, let, let people know kind of where you're at and where you're from because uh, a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I grew up, um, in a little small burg, <laughs> uh, <laughs> by the name of Penn Valley. And, you know, you usually got to connect it to like three dots for people to be kind of, okay. I know where that is, but, uh, Penn Valley is right on the lower Yuba river outside of Nevada city, grass Valley, California, which kind of sits between, Truckee in Sacramento in the, um, in the foothills. I grew up on a, uh, basically what was a cattle ranch as an only child. So I always say, you know, those are why I took to fly fishing and music because I could do those on my own. Uh, mm -hmm. and I started working in the fly fishing industry up there at a small kind of what we would call a destination shop when I was about 17, 18 years old. Um, I started guiding and then, uh, Guided there till I was about 21, kind of messing around with community college and that vein. And then I transferred to Chico State in 2001 and started guiding here and uh, haven't really left. I, I started teaching high school um, in my like early 30s, um, still guiding probably about 100 days a year and um, yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at now. I got two boys. I got a 12 and a 14 year old. So, um, they keep me pretty busy, but, um, now I probably spend about 75 to a hundred days a year on the water guiding still and teaching and, um, operate a couple other things within the fly fishing industry. Like we all do. We got all our hands and all sorts of stuff. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that's the elevator pitch of my life, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy, you know. Um, I'm I'm busy too, man, and I, I look at your all the stuff that you do, and I'm like, man, this guy's working hard out there, man. He's doing a lot of different stuff. Yeah, I I, I think you know Chuck's. I, I me and Chuck have been. I, I consider Chuck probably my best friend, and me and Chuck been buddies for a long time, and I think that's kind of what has always connected us is the fact that there's not many people that do as much and kind of stay as busy as we are that we can really relate and kind of support each other. And what yeah. most people would look at and say crazy endeavors. <laughs> <laughs> what great fisheries you guys, I'm going to talk about those for sure, but man, you guys have some great fisheries up there and great, uh, warm water species and, and, uh, cold water species to fish for. We'll talk about that too, but let's talk about, uh, your band. Um, which, oh yeah. Which a lot of people, you know, associate you with, uh, with fly fishing and fly tying and guiding yeah. and all that stuff. And, and, uh, like I did with Chuck, I, I, uh, interviewed him pretty extensively on his band, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, yeah. which was a blast, you know, cause, 
Um, I love all that. So I'm a musician as well. And so I definitely relate to you guys in that way for sure. So tell, tell me about your band, um, Royal Oaks. Yeah. Well, I mean, music's always been, I mean, I come from a pretty musical family. So, um, I, my mom made me start playing violin when I was like in, I don't know, third or fourth grade. And very quickly I realized that like junior high girls were not as stoked on the violin as they were the guitar. So I, uh, <laughs> Dude, you, know, you know what I, I, you know what I had to play, man, was the, uh, the baritone, man. I was playing. Yeah. That yeah. Band. That did not, that, didn't that did well. not make you cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I finally convinced my mom to let me learn how to play the guitar. And, um, so I started playing guitar at junior high. And I mean, as most musicians know, like if music becomes part of your life, it's kind of always part of your life. And it, and for me, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like me and Chuck have always, we're very yin and yang on a lot of things, but I think that's why we've always connected so well as friends is Chuck always used fly fishing as a way to get him away from the music industry and music is kind of his headspace. You know, that's where he cleared yeah. his head. That's where he went, you know, yeah. and for me, yeah. it's the, it's a complete opposite. I've spent my whole life in fishing and in the fly fishing industry and music has always been where I went to kind of clear my head. And, you know, so whether that was playing in bands or, you know, going on tour for two weeks, three weeks, or, you know, just locking myself in my room and recording music, whatever it is, it's, it's kind of always been my sanity. So, um, I've always played in bands. I've always played with singer songwriters. I've, I just always make sure that I have that avenue to kind of clear my headspace. And probably, you know, when you ask about my band, the band the Royal Oaks is probably, that's what I've been doing probably for most of my musical time the last, I don't know, maybe six to eight years, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a bunch of dudes that kind of get the same and gals that get the same thing out of music. You know, we're all working parents and, you know, we get, we get together yeah. on Sundays and play music and play shows when we have time and tour when we have time and record albums when we have time. And, um, you know, by no means are we professionals, but, uh, we, we take it pretty serious when we do it. You know, when you guys are first, I think you guys did your, your first, uh, the first album that you guys released in 2017 was downs and ups. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was kind of, um, one of our really good buddies in the band at that time, our keyboard player, um, was going through a divorce. And so a lot of that album kind of came out of that. And, um, that was a lot of us trying to, trying to sing on songs and make songs. We were all pretty, we've all, we're all very good musicians, but you know, as you know, like, you know, there's a lot of very good musicians that are very mediocre singers. And (laughs) we kind of patched that album together with a bunch of mediocre singers. And then, um, we met who our new, our lead singer is now Nikki Lunsden and, uh, we pretty much vowed to never sing again at that point. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's got a, she's got a great voice and it, it, yeah. it creates a whole different sound. I would say, don't you think like, yeah, yeah. Album? You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I've always come from like guitar rock, right? Like where, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up 
listening to punk rock and like indie rock and really, you know, a lot of sonic youth, a lot of instrumental music where like the guitar and the instruments were the voice. And then the singing was kind of at least equal with all the other instruments, if not like not as important as the other instruments, you know? Yeah. And Nikki's the first person that I've really played with where I was like, man, this, this, this woman is a lead singer. I mean, she is a force. She is a badass woman. And, uh, it really, it, it, nobody needs to hear me play guitar when she's up there singing. It's, it's really taught me how to play more with less, you know, and really play back in that pocket and really just kind of make the songs about her and, 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 and what she brings to the band, which is a lot and Mm -hmm. really just dial back. And, you know, there's that, you know, less is more type of mentality in music that us guitar players really struggle with it a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's really forced me to do that. And in the end it's, it's made me a much better musician, you know, you guys, uh, what what would you say your sound is? I, I, I was listening to, I don't know, probably all your guys' songs, checking them all out. Yeah. And I, I, I was like, okay, so hmm, this does, is this country rock or is this, uh, you yeah, know, what, you know what it's, is it? it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's, it's fun when you bring a lot of different people together, you know, and, yeah. and one thing that's really cool about Royal Oaks is I don't think anyone ever brings like a complete song to the band, you yeah. know? Um, it's kind of made me a lazy songwriter to some degree because I'll just bring anything. And sometimes it turns into a song cause everybody throws in stuff, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of get an interesting combination of a lot of music, you know, but I, I tend to just people tell people we play rock music and, you know, it's yeah. pretty easily digestible. Totally. You know, I mean, if you listen to our latest album, like we, you know, it's, I always think about the type of music you play as the venues that book you to play, right? Like, right. and man, we've played all over the place at all different types of venues. So I, I kind of think it's just rock music that kind of fits a lot of different genres. You know, Nikki's voice is very, I think there's an element of country to it. There's an element of like seventies kind of female driven rock. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm going to say um, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, that's definitely what I think people probably hear the most, you know. I think uh, there's a song uh, that kind of, you know, caught my attention. You know, it's uh, called This Town. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a good song, man. Is that is that your guitar riff going on there? Yeah, yeah. That, that was because... a song we wrote and we kind of, you know, that's probably more of like our southern rock kind of country rock kind of style. And, uh-huh. Um, that was one of the first song songs that we really wrote together with Nikki mm-hmm. and, uh, I had written some lyrics for it and written kind of some of the guitar parts and, um, but never really felt like anything we did with it was good. <laughs> so <laughs> we showed it to Nikki and she came in, you know, Nikki's the, if you see her on stage, you'll, you, you would think this woman just owns the craft of singing, but she's still very like all of us, like she'll listen to a song and be like, okay, I need to go home and like sing in the car and like 
mm-hmm. hammer something out for this, you know. And uh, she listened to that, and then she came in and just started singing, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm never singing that song again. This is amazing. <laughs> Great job, <laughs> you know. And that was kind of it. And that was, that was like, yep, okay, cool, we're done. <laughs> That's so cool, man. I mean, do you guys find yeah. that, do you find that, uh, you know, some of the songs, some of your guys' better songs, do they come easy for you guys or is it a process and then it, it just takes a little bit longer or do you find that the ones that come together are your best songs? Like the ones that come together quickly are your yeah, best songs? Yeah, that's that a good question. I, you know, it, it's, we write so collectively, Yeah, you know, um, and we're actually right. We're actually about to start recording a new album now. Nice. And like the last album, we put a ton of time in and like really like crafted songs, you know what I mean? Like really mm-hmm. put a lot of thought into them. And, um, that's kind of how we've always done things. You know, it's not to say that we don't come into a practice. There's, you know, it's this, time we we have another guitar player that plays with us now as well so it's like you know there's five five people and we hammer something out and we'll listen to and it'll sound really good at practice and then we kind of we got to play it out live we gotta you know so yeah i i think our best work is the ones that we put that time into you know to be critical of our work you know, and self-reflective about it. I mean, there's definitely songs that we come up with that like first, first right through everybody. We play it, we play it live and it hasn't changed since. Uh Um, but I would say even those songs, like the more you play them out and the more you focus on the dynamics of the song, because that's a, we, we like to think we're fairly dynamic in the sense of, you know, when you're playing with a singer, the dynamics of the music becomes very important. You know, when you strum that chord loud versus where you play it quiet and, you know, all those subtle dynamics that really, I would imagine, I think most music listeners hear, but they don't really quite understand how much work goes into that and how much like feel and, you know, kind of the intangible things go into it. Yeah. So kind of a long answer to a simple question. I would say probably our better songs are the ones that like we put time into and really work on. Nice. And yeah. then in 2021, you guys released one more try. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. that's your latest one. And then you guys are getting ready to do another one here in, in 23. Nice, man. Yeah. 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 So that was the first one we did with Nikki, probably about half those songs we wrote as a band without Nikki. And then the other half Nikki wrote with us and, uh, you know, we, we've been, we've played a lot of those songs for a long time and written a full new batch of songs, which are, you know, and every time you write, you know, it, things change, but, uh, yeah. yeah, we're excited about the new album. So you guys, uh, ever play LaSalle's or. Yeah. Yeah. We played LaSalle's. <laughs> uh-huh. We definitely, I mean, if they serve alcohol in Chico, we've played there, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, you know, we've been fortunate enough to go play, you know, go on short tours. We play with Chuck a lot just because we're all buddies. We all fish together and stuff. And, you know, we've gotten to do some really cool things just based on, you know, how long all of us have been playing music and, you know, I guess, I don't know, just, you know, knowing people throughout our lives that own clubs and such and, 
around the, you know, the West. So the biggest thing for us when it comes to playing live is, you know, I mean, there's five of us and everybody's got multiple kids that play multiple sports and multiple activities and multiple day jobs and all that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. as much as we'd all like to just throw everything in a van and go on the road, that's, uh, for our, for our stage in life, probably not realistic. Are you guys playing benefits with Chuck? Like kind of raise money? Um, yeah, for no, no, we will do little small tours with Chuck. Uh-huh. Like we've done, you know, we've done little California swings and stuff and we'll, oh, cool. we'll play for, we'll play as like Chuck's, you know, one of the fun things to do is like, we'll play and then Chuck will come up and we'll back Chuck up. Oh, you okay. Know? Yeah. So backing band. It's oh, very sweet. convenient. Totally. Totally. That's you know, a- we, you may not have heard us, but you've heard us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, man. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's fun, man. It's, it's, I would never, I've been, uh, I don't know, fortunate enough or I I've done it in times in my life where there was the, the, the money making aspect of it. And I've watched Chuck try to, or make a living in the music industry. And it's, it's not a life I would want for myself. So it's, it's to keep it a hobby is a, a good thing. You know, right. it's an incredibly, yeah. as I always say, like Chuck Reagan's the only person that got into being a fly fishing guide to be home more and spend more time with his family. <laughs> right. Yeah. We talk like, about that that yeah. tells you how jacked up the music <laughs> business is. Right. So, um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny, man. Uh, my band, um, back in the nineties and I think 1999, 2000, we played at LaSalle's and then, yeah, I think we played at, uh, this place on, in, on Chico on the campus called the Rose Garden. Does that sound right? Oh yeah. 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 Right yeah. in the middle of the, so LaSalle's rest in peace, just closed its doors mm. like a week ago. No way. So yeah, LaSalle's is, uh, I don't know what they're going to do with it. The The group that owns it's a, a pretty, pretty, I don't know. I don't want to say wealthy, but they got a bunch of different spots in Chico. And I don't, I don't necessarily think it's going away. I just think the iteration of LaSalle's that existed is I mean, done and may return in a different one. But yeah, how many, bands? the Rose Garden's right in the center of campus too. So, okay. Yeah. That we played there for, for some function too. I can't remember. Um, yeah, the classic, the classic like tour stop is to play the campus during the day and then go play a venue at night. Yeah, you know exactly what we did. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. So. Can you imagine how many bands have played on the South stage? That's it's got to be crazy. Oh, just in Chico, man. I mean, the number of bands that I've seen roll through Chico is so. The two that I remember is. I was working at a fly shop downtown. I was working at fish first downtown and this band was coming around handing out flyers for a, an on-campus performance. And I'm like, huh? All right. I look at the flyer. I'm like, Oh, okay, whatever. No, throw it away. (laughs) Well, I looked at the name and like a year later, it, the band was Maroon five. (laughs) (laughs) Like here's, I don't even know the lead singer's name, but I know he's on like the voice and all these TV shows. Like that dude was hawking like, you know, flyers in downtown Chico to come see Maroon five play the Rose garden. Uh And then, you know, a year later he's like rock star famous. And then 
the other one we saw play at Chico, um, I think me and like a hundred people, and this is long before he was famous, was Chris Stapleton. Okay. And then, you know, like a year after, two years after that, he comes out with his first solo record and we're like, oh my God, we just saw that guy. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Chico, I, I can't, I mean, I could go on and on about all the great bands I've seen play in Chico and, and it really hasn't changed. Like that's nothing, that day is not gone. I mean, they still come through. We got a great new venue in town that just opened this last, last fall. So, I mean, music in Chico is a real thing. Yeah. So it was fun. It was fun to play there. That's oh sure. yeah. And people go to shows. That's the other thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Like people, my age, our age, kid like people go out and live music is like one of the things you do you know so creativity you know from being a musician and and uh creating songs and stuff like that did that kind of go into your uh, fly tying aspect too like creating flies and getting into fly tying yeah you know like i mean i jokingly say like uh, my two hobbies were like music and fly fishing because i was an only child so like fly tying was a little different. Like both those things, you know, I grew up in the late nineties in or the early nineties in the late nineties. And like, I lived out in the country. I mean, I was 30 minutes from anybody. Mm -hmm. And so like, it, there's no video games or, you know, like you did, like I did stuff I could do on my own. Yeah. And, um, fly tying really, I, I kind of was into it and did it, but like, I really got into fly tying probably the like creative aspect of it when I was in my like, er, I'd say like middle teens, like 16 to 18 late teens. And I really started like guiding and fishing and like getting after it. And it was one of those where I'm, I, I still remember I had this realization of like, there's all these dudes out here that have been doing this a whole lot longer than I have. Like, and they're all throwing xyz flies like the only way i'm hanging like the only way i'm keeping my head above water is if i can find something that they're not fishing right so <laughs> fly tying was more of a way to like it was almost i saw it as a, a necessity right like this is the only way that like i will be able to sustain or hold my own on you know the rivers that i was fishing and guiding on mm -hmm. so I don't, I don't necessarily, I never really thought of, I, I, you know, a lot of people ask about the creativity of fly fish or fly tying. Like I've never thought of it as a, a creative endeavor because I'm so like meticulous and anal and <laughs> analytical about it. Uh -huh. That is not like in my mind, like I don't see that it's not a creative outlet by any means. So. Yeah. Well, one of the things I was noticing on, uh, you know, a couple of the videos, is there's a lot of thought that goes into creating, you know, your flies. Like, you know, one of the ones I, I mean, I love fishing for smallmouth and largemouth. Yeah. And so like I was watching the smallmouth, you know, the, the, one of the, um, like it's almost like a, a woolly bugger style yeah. uh, fly. Yeah. And, um, and you're like, you know, like, yeah, I do this so that, you know, it's going to be bouncing against rocks and I want it to be strong, you know? And so, yeah. You know, it lasts a long time, but yet it's pretty easy to tie because I know I'm going to lose a bunch of these, you know, so I wanted to make it simple. 
so that, you know, I can have a whole bunch in my box and I'm not stressing about, you know, the flying, you know, that kind of stuff. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of thought goes into that stuff, you know? Oh yeah. No, I, I, I mean, over the years as I've gotten into all different types of fly fishing, like, you know, I'm a pretty type A person. I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm, I don't like to think I'm anal, but I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> anal. Uh, uh-huh. you know, my wife would tell you I'm pretty anal and, uh, <laughs> So like, you know, it, it, as you know, and most fly anglers know, like so much of guiding, I always feel is out of my control, right? Like yeah. I can't control the weather. I can't control, you know, um, the flows. I can't control the clarity. I can't control the barometer and, and hell, I can't even control if the fish are going to eat that day. Like, but the like one element of like a really short list of stuff I can control is the design of what's on the end of my line. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the fish give you a lot of information, you know, it's not always as simple as if they eat it, then that fly works. Like, you know, the materials give you a lot of information when it's in the water, like how it moves, what Mm -hmm. it does, you know? Mm -hmm. And I've always believed that like in, in a pursuit that I lack so much control in that the design of my fly is an element that I can control and affect the outcome of what I'm doing a hundred percent. So I've always put a ton of thought and some people would say too much thought, um, you know, into my flies and what I design them as. And, you know, um, I'm also not, you know, the, a lot of times that leads, you know, I'm, I'm not a fly changer. Like I don't change my flies a ton, you know, um, my you... boxes are full, but they're not like a million different variations of things, you know, like my, mm-hmm. my actual, what I fish is pretty simple. Yeah. I, you know, once you, you have a confident fly, you know, yeah. you can pretty much go with that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was noticing too, um, this is a question I had for you too, you know, just being kind of, I'm not like a, a striper expert or anything. Yeah. I'm just learning, you know, from Chuck and sure. you know, John Sherman, I've gone a couple of times with, but yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, I noticed that there was like a rattle in one of your flies that uh, Costello mm-hmm. made or something. And does that make, oh, a, yeah. does, so, that make, does that make a big difference? So rattles are uh, rattles among striper guides are a, um, a, I don't know, of a hotly debated topic, mm-hmm. you know, um, sa- you know, any fish that is hunts prey, yeah. um, and has lateral lines, you know, it, it's the big thing with rattles is it's not, we assume we associate rattle with sound. Well, sound waves to a fish are essentially pressure waves, right? Okay. So those pressure waves or those you know, waves given off by that rattle, those sound waves travel as pressure waves in the water, you know, does that trigger a predatory response when the fish receives that? And Costello, who I grew up in is kind of my mentor, Costello in the Delta and most Delta guides, Sherman, I think is probably the same way, will not fish the Delta without a rattle. Uh Well, Costello's theory, and it may have changed, but this is, what I was always told was that 
one of the major food sources of stripers and bass in general in the delta is crayfish and that there's a pressure wave given off by crayfish as their exoskeleton moves and the claws clap and do stuff like that that the rattle mimics. So our river fish like you fished for and that me and Chuck fish for, a rattle is not a, it's, I don't fish rattles on the river. Mm -hmm. And those fish don't seem to respond to rattles like, say, a delta fish does. Okay. Um, and a lot of our fish are mainly fish eaters. You know, they eat fish. Mm -hmm. So they're bait, they eat bait fish. So um, what's interesting is when we do have, and I'm sure Chuck talked about it, is we do have migratory fish that come yeah. in from the delta. And during the spring, when those migratory fish are in, those fish will eat a fly with a rattle, if not prefer a fly with a rattle. So why fish that have been through the salt system and the delta prefer a rattle versus our river resident fish that don't necessarily seem to prefer a rattle is, uh, that's beyond me, but there's a pretty consistent pattern that, uh, shows that, you know? Yeah. So Interesting. yeah, rattles are a whole nother thing. You know, that, that's one thing that as you move from like a, a trout style of fly design to like a striper style of fly design is, you know, trout, usually their first experience with your fly is they see it. And that is, you know, the key, like what colors profile, all that type of stuff. And one of the big jumps to really understanding like striper behavior is the last thing a striper does is see your fly. The first thing they do is they feel your fly move. Oh. Like they hunt that via their sensory system of their lateral lines. So like, you know, how that fly moves and the water displacement and the pattern with which it moves through the water, that's the first decision that striper makes to pursue your fly or not. So mm -hmm. it's a, it's a completely different kind of concept. You know, in our river, you may be fishing a big open flat, like you fished and there's three fish on that. Well, they're not seeing your cast. Like they're, 20 yards one way and they feel that fly move through the water and they come check it out. You know, is it a wounded bait fish? What is that? You know? Yeah. So, you know, I tend to believe that by the time a striper is looking at my fly and most of the water conditions we have on our river, they've already decided to eat it. Dude, you guys, that is so fun. What a fun fishery, man. I wish <laughs> yeah, I could, no, I wish I could do it more, man. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's fairly, you know, it's at the point where I don't do a whole lot else. It's pretty hard to leave. It was, it was <laughs> funny because, um, it's super rare for me to like say, okay, I'm done. You know, like at the end of the day, yeah. like, I go till it's dark or whatever. And yeah. I, I'm, you know, right around four o'clock, I looked at Chuck and I'm like, okay, dude, I'm done. <laughs> you know, throw, yeah, throw no, that night away all day. I was like, oh my God, but what a blast. Oh my God. So oh, it's, fun. it's funny you say that. Cause like, I mean. I'll get people that, you know, most of my clients are striper bass anglers. And even then, you know, by like two 30, they're like, how do you do this all day? And yeah. I'm like, dude, I don't do this all day. I come out and do this for like three hours and like go home and, you know, ice my elbow. Cause my tendonitis is killing me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, don't feel bad. I mean, if you made it to four, you're a champion. I, I rarely fish that long. <laughs> that was fun, man. 
So what about uh, you know I'm a I love smallmouth man that's like my favorite yeah and you guys you yeah. guys have smallmouth in the in that zone that you guys well first of all tell tell me uh, which rivers you guide on and which rivers you you go on yeah yeah so I spend probably ninety nine point nine percent of my time chasing stripers and spotted bass and uh, you know I still guide the lower Yuba a little bit. Um, I still pay for all my accesses there and that's uh-huh. kind of probably the only trout guiding. That is the only trout guiding that I do anymore just cause that's kind of where I grew up and my home, my home stretch. But, um, I live probably about three quarters of a mile from one of the most boat ramps on the, uh, on the lower sack for stripers. Oh, okay. So it's, it's really hard to like get motivated to drive anywhere else. You know, <laughs> right. Um, so I spend most of my time on the sack guiding for stripers pretty much. I mean, as long as it's fishable and, you know, so our kind of prime season out there is usually May through October, but you know, with the drought, we've definitely had a winter season. Mm-hmm. Um, this winter, I, I doubt we will just with all the water and like normal rain we're getting. Yeah. Um, and at that point I kind of get pushed over to Lake Oroville, which is a, a big impoundment full of spotted bass. Nice. And, um, that's kind of my winter fishery if the sack is not fishable. So are you guys seeing yeah. in the, in the sack, are you guys seeing smallmouth in the sack? Yeah. So really? smallmouth for us, you know, most people up here think of smallmouth as a, a stillwater fishery. Uh-huh. Um, we have a lake at least here in Chico, and that's probably about 45 to an hour and 15 east of here, Lake Almanor, which has a phenomenal smallmouth bass population. And most reservoirs in that kind of middling foothill area have smallmouth in them and are kind of good smallmouth fisheries. Um, A lot of our low creeks and rivers also have smallmouth fisheries um but they're hard to get on you know access is those rivers dump out of say like the national forest kind of band that goes along the mm-hmm. sierras down into the valley you get into i mean you're basically ranches and farms and so those smallmouth areas of the rivers are a little harder to get to okay um the sack though has smallmouth in it and there's definitely Definitely times of year where, like, I go out smallmouth bass fishing. It's usually, like, depending on the spring in April and May, Mm -hmm. and those, you know, bigger river smallmouth bass will pull into some of the tributary mouths, like the creek mouths and such. And I I think I am, if if you list the number of bass species and my knowledge of them, smallmouth is definitely, um, at the bottom just cause I don't fish for them as much, but there are times on the lower sack where it's, you can go to these Creek mouths and really catch some, you know, some of the bigger smallmouth bass and mm-hmm. that I've seen in California, at least in moving water. Um, and then the thing is all those tributaries, whatever Creek it may be that dumps into the lower sack, if you want to go walk up them or wade fish them from, you know, the, uh, big Chico Creek that flows right through Chico has smallmouth bass in it. You know, granted they're all 10 to 12 inches, you know, yeah. but with a three wade and some flip flops, it's an amazing fishery. Yeah. So, um, you know, the time that, that 
spring through fall, it's, you know, I could probably do a lot more smallmouth bass fishing. It's just, that's when striper fishing's really good. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I get it. um, I always say I'm going to go, you know, up to Almanor for like two weeks and just guide smallmouth for two weeks, but I never do it. So <laughs> how, how far is Almanor from you? Um, about an hour and a half oh, and it's bad. just a wicked windy Canyon road. So it's, it's like one of those roads that I, you know, associate that I probably statistically only have so many safe drives on towing a, you know, yeah. 22 foot boat. Right. So yeah, I don't really make it very often. How's Lake Orville doing? Is it low? Uh, it's filling up. Nice. I mean, I, I keep the graph is nearly vertical over the last couple of weeks and, Sweet. um, you know, we've been out there guiding and fishing and it's been good. You know, uh, when the lake starts to rise, it gets, it can get either really good or really tough. You got to work mm -hmm. a little bit, but I mean, the size of fish in Lake Orville has really kind of been ramping up as, you know, a lot of these big bass fisheries do, you know, they'll, they'll cycle through where there'll be a ton of small fish and then they mm -hmm. kind of start growing and, you know, we're kind of at the probably the peak if not near the peak of a, a pretty good upturn in the lake you know yeah so Wait, what's the water yeah. temperature holding at at uh, lake oroville does it does it stay like in the, the 50s yeah like I, it'll, you know we're looking at water like 52 to 47 most uh, of the winter oh, okay. you know okay. um yeah. you know and it, it, it's those spotted bass are different you know they're not a large mouth or a small mouth they're a different breed of bass you know, and they like that cold water. So, you know, as much as they slow down in the sense of like the bait and the fish, as Chuck would say, you know, uh -huh. everything moves slower in the winter. Uh -huh. um, it, they still eat, you know, yeah. they, they eat, they're actively eating. So are you doing yeah. a, um, you know, the, uh, the bobber and fly? Yeah, we, thing? we kind of do, man, you know, I mean the godfather of, that and figuring out how to fish those reservoirs is a guy by the name of Ryan Williams. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard, of you know, him, yeah. Ryan, Ryan has, you know, he's the guy, like that's the guy that figured it out. And, uh, you know, the float, the float catches a ton of fish. Um, but you know, to really guide those lakes, you can strip flies, fish top water, um, there's a bunch of different ways to use it. The beauty of the float is, you know, like you can take someone out there that's never fished before and put them on a fair amount of fish with the float. So the floats usually where a lot of the times we start. And then once we mm -hmm. kind of figure out what the fish are doing that day or where they're at, then we can start stripping flies or, you know, when the lake's rushing up like it is one of the fun things to do is fish top water right on the banks because the fish push right up against the bank and you know so it's like any fishery you know there's a lot of different ways to do it but the float is the float's pretty hard to beat you guys you know? are just figuring out like what depth they're at and then just figuring out the leader um, to that length and then throwing it out there and just kind of twitching it or something yeah you know it's uh a lot of it's figuring out where the bait's at, right? Yeah. So, you know, the main bait population out there is uh, Wakasagi minnow, which is a Japanese pond smelt, um, and just kind of figuring out where those fish are in the water column. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and traditionally, like, the rule of thumb is that the fish are deeper. You know, your float's 
going to be set a little deeper in the winter than in the spring. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of it just depends on how the water, if the lake's coming up and, you know, stuff like that clarity and, you know, it's, it's not rocket science, but it, it definitely requires experience of like knowing where to be and where to fish because there's definitely spots that fish better than others, you know? Yeah. Do you like tying bass flies better than trout flies? Or do you have um, a, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I tie a lot more bass flies cause I yeah. lose a lot more bass flies. Right. Um, no, I, I, I you know, I, I've, I don't know. I mean, as you, as, I, I tie, as you, as you get older, you know, those, those bigger flies. Oh yeah. Little... <laughs> no, you know, my visions, <laughs> my, my close up vision is really good. What's just gone to shit over the years is my distance. Oh, like, okay. you know, if you see me driving the boat without like prescription glasses on, like kick me in the teeth because <laughs> that is not a safe thing to be doing. So no, my, my, uh, I don't really mind tying small flies. Uh-huh. Um, I tie a bunch of small stuff just this time of year if I'm guiding for trout, but no, I, I, I think bass flies, I, I enjoy tying striper and bass flies because it seems like there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more progress to be made in the, in the innovation of those, yeah. you know, um, I've always looked at trout flies and be like, dude, like, you're looking at like essentially a over, a, I mean, a hundred years of just phenomenal fly tires. Right. Right. Like, right. You know, like I'm not arrogant enough to think I could be any more innovative than, you know, Mike Mercer or Andy bird or, you know, like yeah. at this point in, I mean, realistically at this point in trout fishing, it's just, everybody's looking at everybody else and just making little tweaks, you know, I mean, nothing I've ever done on a trout fly is like incredibly innovative. It's just looking at this guy, looking at that guy, looking at that guy and putting it together. You know what I mean? Whereas like in the bass world, there's so much, you know, the, the whole concept of what you can do with a fly rod and how you can do it. And just our general understanding of, you know, bass and how you fish for them. I mean, for example, like, you know, gear guys on Orville, when they see stormy weather, rising lake, like muddy water, they're, you know, cold temperatures, their first thought is top water. Mm -hmm. Like there's not a fly fisherman in the world that goes, oh, wow, it's December, it's 30 degrees out, the lake's rushing up, it's pumping mud, I'm going to fish top water. You know, that's just not our mindset as fly anglers. And so like, there's, there's just a lot to be learned. And I think done with the design of flies Yeah. in that Avenue. Yeah. So it probably interests me more. Yeah. Me too. Me yeah. too. For sure. Uh, yeah. I've had a couple of uh, like bass pros on my podcast, you know, and, and just hearing, oh, yeah. hearing how they do things and stuff. It's so interesting, man. You know, you can learn so much and just talking to those guys. Oh, and fishing that's with them, uh, right? Oh man. Yeah. You know, I mean, for the better part of 15 years, I mean, most, the only, I don't spend a lot of time on trout fisheries. So it's like, I hang out with bass guys. Like, you know, when I pull up to the boat ramp at on the, the, the river or the lake, it's like, there's not fly dudes there. It's all gear dudes. Yeah. And yeah. you think, 
you know, you take your most intense fly angler fishing guide, you know, and you put that guy up against like, I would say a mid-level tournament pro on the bass circuit. And they're not even, I mean, the bass pro is, you, it's a whole nother level of intensity yeah, and knowledge and just meticulousness mm-hmm. and understanding. You know, when the first time I really got clued into that was probably, probably about 15 years ago, I was at Sherm's, John Sherman's house. And I was listening to Bobby Barrick, who was kind of the godfather of the Delta at the time. Uh-huh. Probably still is in most people's minds. But Bobby was, and, you know, and if you saw Bobby, the dude's got like a ratty, holy Raider sweatshirt on. The dude looked like, you know, straight out of Antioch, maybe under a bridge, if you didn't know. You know, like, and he's breaking down oxygen content numbers off of various aquatic weed species uh-huh. and which ones to <laughs> oh, focus nice. on. You know, and I'm just like, dude, that is, I need to get there. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, we're not talking red or copper, copper John anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I need to get, I need to get to that level. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, dancing in the bass world and kind of living in that world for the, you know, say the last decade is, it's definitely been an eye opener as to like what there is to learn. You know, uh, I just, um, for the first time competed in the bass and fly, you know, there in the Delta. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so, so I was lucky enough to, um, go with a guy named Robert Tamminson, whose partner, I guess, uh, couldn't make it or something. So I got put with him and, um, and it was, it was so cool, man. I mean, I fished the, the Delta a handful of times, you know, but. You know, we, yeah. took, we took a couple of days. It took a couple of days to figure it out, man. And, you know, where the bass were. And I was like, where are these guys? You know, and figured out that they were shallow. Oh, yeah. They were shallow. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, uh, that's what we got to do, you know. And yeah. uh, it was a blast, man, meeting, just meeting all these dudes that were into bass fly fishing too, man. Are you going to do that? Have you ever done it? I've, I, you know, it's funny. I usually, I've never done it. I get asked to do it every year. And I always, it's like, it's always at such a tough time of year, especially with oh. two kids and sports. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Sure, sure. Um, I always say I'm going to do it. Um, but on the flip side, I don't know anything about the Delta. Like, yeah. I yeah, mean, I fish the Delta. Like, I would probably want to hop on the boat with someone that knew what they were doing. But right. at the same time, it's kind of that, like, charity golf tournament vibe. You just go down and have fun. Totally. You know what I mean? Totally, man. And yeah. Everybody's there so. just, you know, having some beers and talking and totally. It's, a, it's totally. a good time, man. I had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still like, that's a, I mean, from where I'm at, the Delta is probably like three hours. Oh, is it? So yeah, it's not like the Delta is close to me. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm two hours North of Sacramento and the Delta is an hour from Sacramento. So, you know, Tell me about it's a good, it's a good clip. Tell me about the uh, the Cal Bass Union. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, talking about like bass and how different it is, and yeah, Chuck, Chuck and I, and I, Ryan Williams, to some manner, um, we had been guiding for bass. I'd been guiding for stripers for a long time, and then I kind of brought Chuck on and got Chuck into it, and yeah you know, you, you've been out to where we are. Like you don't see 
many other people. Bitching. You know? Yeah. Um, Badass. <laughs> I've become fairly spoiled. Yeah. And, you know, we were kind of like, man, like, why aren't more people doing this? Like, why are we continually having to, like, convince people to come out and do this with us? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for the longest time when I was building my, my bass business, it was like I was convincing people to come do it. You know, um, even John, like when I was telling John for a number of years how good the river fished, like I know John well enough. I've known John since we were in college and like he didn't believe me. Like you could tell he thought I was full of crap. <laughs> and, you know, and then one winter – John decides to come up and fish and he catches more big stripers in like three months than he's caught in his entire life. So it, it was a really hard sell, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, so me and Chuck were like, well, (laughs) what do we do? We got to grow this business. Like, you know, and the big thing too, is if you're a, if you're a fly fishing guide, you know, me and Chuck are in our forties, man. Like, rowing a boat into your fifties is not a realistic proposition. You know, if you're, that's, that's hard work, uh-huh. <laughs> you know? And I mean, cap tip to those guys that do it, but you know, I started doing it when I was 18 years old and you know, by the time I was in my thirties, it was like, Oh, well, you know, my back hurts. I'm limping around, you know, it just, yeah. you got to have another thing. And so we, kind of looked around and one of our buddies out in the Midwest, Mike Schultz really created a, a basically built a shop and a business and pioneered fisheries in Michigan on this concept of the small jaw syndicate and this kind of like underground marketing thing that, you know, and Chuck was good buddies with him and we are like, damn, we should do something like that. And then Keith Numamatsu down South, who's a good Mm -hmm. friend of mine, they did the Calico syndicate and like, Mm -hmm all of a sudden people are calico bass fishing and Mm -hmm. you know, like, man, we just got to do this. And so we really just to start with basically copied what, you know, Keith and um, Schultz did and really took it as a like, Hey, you know, we're going to bring on the, the, the first a lot or the first group of guys we brought on were basically just all our friends that would say yes when we sent him an email with like a random idea, right? Like uh-huh. <laughs> at the time we started it, we had nothing to show for this, but, uh, you know, Hey, we got this idea and, you know, we're smart enough to know the only people that are going to say yes to that are like our good buddies. So, um, <laughs> you know, our good buddies jumped on, Sherm jumped on, Costello jumped on, uh, Matt Cowley's jumped on, Ryan jumped on. And, um, this is prior to COVID, but like our goal was just like to educate people and show people like what else is out there. You know, it's the classic thing I tell people, you know, is our large population center. We'll say it's the Bay area, you know, that's about three and a half hours Mm -hmm. um, away, but you know, Bay area people drive anywhere from three to four hours to get to like the trophy trout waters of California, whether it's the Truckee, you know, the right. McLeod, the upper sack. And, you know, in that drive, they drive by anywhere from like three to six of BASS's best bass fisheries in the country. Right. You know, like you drive by like world class bass fishing to get to trout fishing. And, you know, 
how much more would you fish if you could fish locally, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some thing I read at one point that, you know, definitely don't quote it, but it's like most Americans live with under 10 miles from a largemouth bass where most Americans live a hundred miles from a trout. Mm. So mm-hmm. like if you want to grow the sport and you want to progress the sport and you want to make room for all these new people that are getting into it and you want to protect wild steelhead, you want to protect whatever it is you want to do. Um, you got to spread people out and get people into some different things, you know? So we kind of took that as the mantra and, you know, we've, we've been fairly true to that. You know, we, it's, We've, we kind of took some time, I don't want to say it took some time off, but you know, COVID obviously like most things kind of slowed the progress of it, but you know, yeah. uh, in 2023, we, we have, we'll have online booking software for all our members that if people want to fish with any of us, it's not an outfitter by any means. It's just a tool that mm-hmm. people can use to book guides. We have a store with merchandise and just kind of some of the products that we use and then all sorts of instructional videos and tips and tricks and really just trying to share everything that all the members of the union have to get people out there doing different things. That's so funny. You say that man, because, uh, you know, I've been a, I've been a trout guide for, you know, 20 years and, and I don't know in the last, I don't know, seven years or so I've been really trying to promote our lower Kern bass fishery. Yeah. And, and so like, it's funny, I'll go, they'll show up, you know, my, how would you guys like to go and fish for some bass? Uh, well, we really want to, <laughs> we really want to go for the trout. I'm like, you know, I'm always trying to sell it, you know, but there's a, a bunch of clients that like, will go, okay, yeah, I'll try it. And then they go, why have I not been doing this? This is, this oh is yeah, nuts. no, I, I, I always <laughs> tell like, I've, you know, I, when we, when I was really trying to get people into the striper fishing on the river, it was like, people looked at me like I was crazy, uh-huh. you know, like, no, I'm going to drive, you know, 60, 70, 80 miles up North and fish for the trout up there. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, we can do that too. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, even then and now it's like you get people out to do that stuff yeah. and you know, the, the solitude alone is appealing, you know, uh-huh. um, at least from where we are, uh-huh. you know, I mean, that's what like, the, that's one of the things I said to Chuck when I was out with him, like, dude, there's no one here. This is bitching, man. Yeah. Well, and that's pretty common. Like yeah. there's, it's really like me and Chuck and Ben that do it. And, yeah. um, you know, the irony of that is if you drove, you probably went in at Butte city. So if you drove 70 miles upriver, yeah, you know, every boat ramp would probably have 20 drift boats at it, uh-huh. you know? Um, and you'd be rolling through, you know, Redding Anderson, right. You know, all that type of melee. And well, that's, I mean, let's be real. The lower Sox probably the best trout fishery that I've ever been on. Yeah. Um, in the country, you know, yes, you got a nymph, you don't get to throw dry flies, but, uh, yeah, it's just silly good, but it's like, there's something to be said for not seeing anyone, you know, and you know, a giant lake with, you know, if I pull up to the ramp tomorrow, there'll be 10 bass boat trailers there, but I'm not going to see any of them, (laughs) you know, that's just that big. 
That's awesome. And so, you know, there's something to be said in a state like California when it comes to natural resources of the like responsible thing of like, let's spread some people out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's, uh, I mean, I'm not a huge, you know, environmentalist or, you know, soapbox kind of guy, but you know, that was one of the things that people really realized when we started to get them out to do this is they're like, there's literally no one at this boat ramp. And I'm like, yeah, no, there, there hasn't been in like a month, (laughs) you know? And, and then you couple the fact with like the fishing is totally different and you know, bass fight really hard and you catch them on stripped flies Mm -hmm. and they get big and you know, there's Mm -hmm. all those things that add up to it that, you know, um, yeah. I've never had anyone be like, oh, that was cool, but I don't want to do that again. Right. You know, that just doesn't happen. Oh, I can't wait so. to go again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 <laughs> I, I you know, Ch- Chuck still guides for trout a little bit, but yeah. I, I don't, yeah. I don't think I've guided for trout and probably, I mean, if anybody wants to call and book a trout trip, I, I would change my tune, but you know, uh, <laughs> Having guided for trout and probably, I don't know, maybe two years, three yeah. years. And, you know, I mean, I, I go fish for trout. I take my boys fishing all the time for trout and row yeah. the boat and like, yeah. um, but no, I, I always tell people like, I, as soon as I discovered striper fishing, I pretty much lost interest in everything else. <laughs> so It's funny. Um, I think, uh, this year was the least amount of trout guiding I did. I, I maybe did 10 days. And the rest were all focusing everybody, let's go to the lower current, let's go to the lower current. Yeah. uh, We got like, uh, you know, 70 miles of uh, lower current river that no one fishes, man. It's kind of like, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like you guys, you know, it's, um, no one's fishing it. I mean, there's some, there's some spin guys that fish it, you know, Mm -hmm. but no one floats it, floats it like me. And I'm just, it's so intriguing, man. You know, it's just, it's a badass place. It's it's small mouth. And, uh, and, oh yeah. And, and that's, that's just... such a, like what most people don't re- like what, what I've always found unique about California is like that right there. Like that is the fishing that large portions of our country do yes. like float fishing rivers for smallmouth. Like yeah. you go out to the Midwest, like that's what they do. You go out to the central East coast and Virginia up and down the East coast that's what they do. People are like, eh, trout, mm, not so much. <laughs> like, right. if you're like, Hey dude, you want to go fish for smallies? Yep. Like, yeah, let's go. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and you're over here trying to convince people to go do it, you know? <laughs> I know. So what is, what is AFTA? Oh, so AFTA, um, AFTA stands for the American fly fishing tackle association. So, um, AFTA is essentially like our industry's uh, trade association. Um, and it's been around in, in many different forms in the sense of like, um, you know, it's a nonprofit that has a board. The board's comprised of uh, all sorts of people from different aspects of the industry, whether it's guides, shop owners, manufacturers, media, um, there's a director, our director at this, uh, conjuncture is a man by the name of Lucas Bissett. He is a, uh, was a redfish guide for a long, long time out of, uh, New Orleans. And 
you know, the, the thing that AFTA is probably the best known for is we've always put on the, the trade show. Um, oh, okay. IFTD. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. And that was kind of our big, big thing. But, you know, over the years and definitely under Lucas, it's, it's really truly become more of a trade association. Like, you know, as our members or, you know, anywhere from guides to shops to dealers, um, we offer, you know, insurance, like, you know, if you buy your guide and most guides buy their insurance through AFTA now, and it's disgustingly cheaper than if you were to go out on the open market. You know, if you're a, a shop, there's shipping discounts and point of sale discounts. I mean, you get a staples discount, like, you know, it's, it's a true (laughs) trade union that like, or trade association that tries to benefit its members and do what we can to help the, the fly fishing industry through, you know, education, stewardship and, you know, support where they need it. And I've served on the board. I think I'm going into my sixth year. So my second term, uh, I represent the, the business or the, the, I guess, demographic of a guide. Uh So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, it's been a really good experience for me personally serving on the board because, you know, fly fishing, as you know, is it's, it's very niche and regional, right? Mm -hmm. Like here, you and me are pretty much doing the same thing for the last 20 some years, probably a couple hundred miles apart. We've never met each other. Right. Right. Like now do the math on that across the country. Right. You know, like, is there something that you and me could learn from a guy in Ohio? Guaranteed. Absolutely. What are the chances of us ever meeting him? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. so like coming onto a board and like looking at our industry from a national perspective and meeting all these different people in these little bubbles, yeah. you know, um, it's just opened my eyes up to, kind of the industry as a whole and that's you know the good and the bad and the things that we could do differently or the things we do really well here or the things that they do really well over there Mm -hmm. you know it's uh it's i've met a lot of great people and feel like i've done a lot of kind of give back good work but um you know still a lot to do so i encourage if anyone's in the fly fishing industry to check out afta.org and you know sign up to be a member it's pretty cheap it's only like 25 35 bucks oh i'm all over it and you know (laughs) i mean i've i've of course heard heard of it you know i just never have been involved and and uh, i've been to a few of the tackle dealer shows you know iftds and all that but i i don't know if i realized that they were putting it on or not maybe i did yeah Yeah, you know it's a lot of guides a lot of our largest member group is guides and it's basically because of the insurance discount you know, yeah. it, most guys would be like, oh, yeah, I'm a member for the insurance. Well, what else do they do? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, well, it's it's kind of one of those deals. Well, one of the last questions but, I always ask is um, what music have you been listening to? Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like what, what I mean, I, I like everything, you know, so I always, I, and I'm always, the question, I always ask that question because I learn about, different artists i'm like oh wow i'm writing that down let me check that out you know so um yeah you know whether it's from you know classic rock to jazz to whatever you know it's like um i always like to well this is a good time to ask because i i think like every magazine and blog and artist is like releasing their top albums of the year you know Uh so like (laughs) 
I, uh, I, it's funny. I was texting my buddy. I was doing some computer work yesterday and he's, he's like, just one of my music buddies. I used to play music with. He's like, all right, dude, give me your top, top albums of the year list. Not even like, what are your top albums? He's like, just like, what list are you chopping through right now? So, (laughs) um, let me look here. So one guy that I think I was completely late to the boat to discover, but I've been listening to a lot of this year and he released a, uh, a live album right before Christmas was uh, Zach Bryan. He's kind of a singer songwriter. Okay. Um, I've been listening to that. And then this, I, I would say he's probably Americana kind of country, but a deem the artist white trash revelry came out this year. And that, that was one that I pulled off a top album list. That's been really good. Wait, so uh, uh, Zach Bryan, that's the name of his album, white trash. Zach, Zach Bryan is the artist and okay. he just released a live album. That's okay. called, what's that called? All my homies hate Ticketmaster. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Okay. That's the name of that album. And then the other one that's like top that I've been listening to a lot is one uh, by a guy by the name of Adeem, the artist. Oh, okay. And the album name is white trash revelry and it's kind of Americana esque, but it's really good. Okay. Cool. I'm writing this down as you're talking. <laughs> oh yeah, no, those are kind of the two, two probably from the last year that I've been listening to a lot. Um, I also I, I've been starting to play with this singer songwriter by the name of Ryan Davidson, so I've been listening to a lot of his songs to learn them. Oh okay. Um, oh you wait, you're going to be playing come. with them? Yeah 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 yeah. Okay cool. So, um, we're going to have to do, uh, uh, show, um, Chuck Royal Oaks and my band, the Stoneflies, sometime. Oh yeah, for sure. No, we, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I always, I, I, me and Chuck, like we always, I'll go play with Chuck, like, cause Uh I'll play pedal steel or background guitar. Oh, no way. Cool. Yeah. And just go play with him. And you know, it's, it's. I'm always trying to play more music and, and Chuck's like trying to figure out how to stay home more. So like, (laughs) like I said earlier, like Chuck goes fishing to get away from music and I play music to get away from fishing. So like we have this really like yin and yang thing going with fishing and music, but we always try to put both of them together. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many, what's so cool about, um, you know, as I'm doing this podcast, I'm finding out that there's so many people in the outdoors that are musicians and artists, and it's it's so fun, man. Like, uh, do you know who Conway Bowman is? Oh, yeah, very yeah. well. I've known Conway for a long okay. time. Well, he's a great drummer, you know? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Conway's a really good drummer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I played with him, um, and I, I played with a guy named Bernard Yin. You know, at some of these mm-hmm. these carp uh, tournaments and stuff, and it's oh just yeah, a, for it's, sure, it's a it's a blast, man, super fun. Oh yeah, no, music is. I think music is uh, part of the fabric of fly fishing. So yeah. you know, I don't <laughs> think that's going anywhere anytime soon. If people want to find you, where would they go? Oh yeah, sure. Um, they can just check out hgbflyfishing.com and um, I'm on social media. at at HGB fly fishing and okay. they can either, they can let those t- two places take them all over the interweb. 
And also um, on the Cal Bass Union website, I'm assuming, too, right? Yeah, that's just calbassunion.com. Right. And then... Uh, and yep, you, and that's Cal Bass Union on social media as well. So. I want to let people know, too, is like, you know, if you guys want to hear uh, a great podcast with Hogan, you know, go to his um, his podcast and uh, and check it out. Um, he's got a whole... Yeah, the Barbless podcast yep. is all up. It's all up on my website and everything, too. I've, I've fairly neglected it over the last six months but it's there and i'll probably start posting again eventually yeah heck yeah so. man it's fun super fun yeah. well hogan man um you're so easy to talk to i'm so glad our paths have finally crossed um yeah absolutely and, you know uh hope to fish with you sometime and and i'm sure i'll run into you now somewhere you know some show or something you know oh absolutely absolutely so yeah, thanks. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. And, uh, good luck with everything, man. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for having me guy. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.